0: This week, we check in on a company that uses fruit flies to more sustainably generate a key ingredient in life science research and development. Plus, we'll catch up on some
1: news in the world of cellular agriculture. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton.
0: Hi, Faiza. Our- uh, this may be a personal question, but are, are fruit flies part of your life?
1: You know, they are a part of my life, and uh, I'm not excited about that. But, <laughs> you know, they pop up every so often, and I, I've spent more than uh, more than one summer Googling how to get rid of them. So, yeah, yeah. they are. I'm with you. I, I
0: love summer fruit season, uh, and it is hard not to curse those uh, little critters that come that are buzzing around the apricots. But uh, I, I have a new appreciation, at least for a cousin of those fruit flies that are in my kitchen. Um, a slightly different species uh, is key to the process that Future Fields uses to generate the growth factor that is used in cel- cellular agriculture, that field of science that's looking at how to figure out how to lab grow meat or other proteins. And I also learned that the recombinant proteins that the company generates from insect farming can also be used in the development of vaccines, therapeutics, other life sciences applications.
1: Oh, that's, that sounds cool. Mm. Well, I know we've talked about future fields on the show before uh, when we had Leji Kufur speaking about leaving the company for Cult Food Science. Uh, why are we looking at this company right now? Well, I wanted to
0: check back with them again, uh, partly because co-founder and chief operating officer Jaylene Anderson Barron just won an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship award, which we'll talk about a little bit in this, uh, in the, in the interview coming up. And I also wanted to talk to them because I think the company's at an interesting inflection point, kind of repositioning itself a little bit as it seeks its next round of funding in a pretty and tough an environment for that kind of thing. And so, yeah, there was lots to talk about. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a pretty interesting conversation, I think. So here is my conversation with Jaylene Anderson Barron of Future Fields. Let's start with the news. Uh, so you recently received the Alberta Business Award of Distinction in the Woman Entrepreneur category from the Alberta Chambers of Commerce. Tell me, what did that, what did that award mean to you?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, it was a huge surprise. I was vastly underprepared to accept it because I really didn't think um, it would be me, but it was definitely an honor. And, you know, it shows me and and hopefully others that it is possible to build a business first in an industry like biotech that is still unfortunately very dominated by men in the executive positions. You know, we're lucky that scientists, there's, it's, you know, I think gender parity is quite close. There's, so many incredibly talented, smart scientists. But when it comes to those um, higher level positions, you know, unfortunately, that's not the case. So that's one. And then second, I think just showing that, you know, you can do something like that while doing it your own way. Um, And so for me, that has meant still finding a way to be flexible and prioritize time with my family. And so I do hope that by showcasing these stories of Alberta's female entrepreneurs and not just me, but... Um, Like I said earlier, you know, the many incredible women who were nominated across multiple categories and won across multiple categories at the Alberta Business Awards. Yeah. Hopefully that might encourage more women to make that same leap.
0: Yeah. In the blog post about your win, there's a picture of you nursing (laughs) while you're on a Zoom call. Um, Um, What have have you learned? (laughs) What have you learned about building a startup while parenting and while mothering, which is different?
2: Oh, what have I learned? Well, many things, although I think I'm still learning every day. Um, Definitely as a working mom, it took me a long time. I mean, I'm still not there, but I'm getting better at uh, just getting over the guilt, I think, and the constant feeling of always being in the wrong place. When you're working, you feel like you should be at home. When you're at home, you feel like you should be working. And so I'm still working to find that balance. But I am really lucky to have great family support and the privilege to rely on things like amazing childcare and someone who cleans my house twice twice a month. And honestly, like those luxuries, I do do not take for granted. And, you know, those definitely let me leverage my time in a better way. Um, I've also gotten much better, I think, you know, in recent years at at saying and accepting it's just not my season for a lot of things that I wish I could be doing right now. You know, I want to do a triathlon, but apparently you have to train for that and have time for that. And I want to be the mom who bake, bakes a cake. I always thought that would be what I was doing. Right. But I am actually the mom that goes to Duchess five minutes before my daughter's birthday and hopes (laughs) there's something left. And it is what it is. And you cannot do it all or you will burn out. And, you know, I don't know how, how women who don't have those supports do it, honestly, because it is not easy.
0: Yeah. What about your experience helps you make or try to make future fields a good place for working parents?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I have found interesting over the past couple of years is that although startup work is much more intense than any other work environment I've experienced, that the flexibility is actually very compatible with parenting. And so for me personally, you know, I love that I can schedule or schedule my day in a way that allows me to actually spend the most waking hours possible with with my daughter. And I think some previous work experiences that I had where the office culture was more traditional or regimented, I honestly don't know how I would have made that work at a, at a you know, a regular nine to five. And so I think in general, um, startups can be flexible and far more responsive to the needs of working parents than more established companies. And that's a huge advantage. And, um, you yeah, know, I do think, yeah, at Future Fields, we've done a good job of learning from that and creating a really parent-friendly culture, flexibility in schedule is huge, right? Like I mentioned, just not having that stress and that sort of stigma around needing to take a morning off to take your kid to the dentist, something like that. Um, we here have a very kid-friendly office. If your childcare falls through and for some reason, just, you know, working from home or taking the day off isn't feasible, we do encourage staff to bring their kids to work. And during COVID especially, I know that was, you know, there was so much uncertainty with childcare and a lot of that at the end of the day did, I think, end up falling on, you know, the responsibility of moms. Yeah. And I think that reduced the stress um, of a lot of parents on our team, just knowing that they had the option. We try to have very equitable policies relating to, you know, maternity and parental leave, um, not holding work events, I think, especially social events outside of work hours that oh, would exclude people with kids or, you know, yeah. who need extra childcare. Or otherwise, don't maybe want to spend more time away so yeah and i mean that's like one of my big pet peeves with all these ecosystem events is i would love to be able to do something weekly but um they're always during you know peak bedtime baby hours and that i don't i don't want to have to make that choice so we try to yeah definitely take some of those those learnings and preferences into account
0: i I, that's really smart yes (laughs) (laughs) Your team has doubled in size to 30, I think, in the past year, and you moved into yeah. a new headquarters. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's been challenging about that?
2: Uh, several things. I mean, I, rapid growth, you know, always comes with its own set of challenges. But I think we've been, at least on the people side, we've been able to manage that pretty well. Um, for me as COO, you know, moving from our old home in in the, the Tech Edmonton or the Enterprise Square building, where we had managing a building, that was a very, I don't want to say a rude awakening, but it was, I think like my, the scope of my job doubled about three times once we moved into our own facility, because suddenly you're having to worry about things like who's picking up our bio waste and how are we making sure that nobody's breaking in and, you know, safety policies, all these things that you really take for granted, you know, who's refilling the toilet paper, all these things, right? So um, I think that was definitely a huge learning curve, uh, particularly on the operation side. I think, you know, the lab side went fairly smooth. We're lucky we have a very experienced and eager team of people who who kind of, you know, were, were able to make that transition pretty easy. But um, yeah, definitely the, the kind of having your own space and the responsibility of that was was a an interesting
0: challenge. Tell me more about this new building on, it's on 111th Street, 106th Avenue. What made mm-hmm. you want to make that your headquarters?
2: Well, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, it's a beautiful building when I think about the kind of place that I would like to work. uh, And just, you know, I think really it embodies the startup culture. It has beautiful exposed brick walls, tons of natural light. And it was just, you know, like a a kind of an open space that we could do what we want with. So we have a very unique (laughs) kind of business needs in terms of having to have office space and And lab space and eventually a place where we can do all of our insect rearing at a a higher scale and so this site really worked well but um, for us also just being central being on a bike lane were very important um, parts of you know our culture i think especially around sustainability and so we tried to be relatively close to lrt right on the bike lane close to lots of things happening um, you know in the downtown core and Uh, We still have great relationships with, you know, the University of Alberta. And and so being still relatively central was really important to us.
0: I always think about something that uh, Shafraz Kaba said about, uh, he's an architect, and he said, the most sustainable building is the building that's already built. Yes. And (laughs) uh, so... Sustainability is so important to future mm-hmm. fields. It's like, it feels like repurposing that old building is in line with your goal to create a, the most sustainable biomanufacturing platform on the planet. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your technology now. What What is it about it that allows you to have a smaller greenhouse gas footprint uh, than the existing tech?
2: I won't go too deep into the technical details, but Basically, most you know existing expression systems rely on very large tanks or bioreactors, and so this um, this approach you know on its own is very energy intensive. There's a lot of waste outputs, and basically, what you're doing is filling a tank with culture media to grow something that you then take growth factors from to do the exact same process in another large tank where you're you know using growth factors to grow something, and so. Our technology essentially removes that entire first half of the process, removes the need for um, a bioreactor and replaces it with an insect. And insects are incredibly efficient, you know, to scale, to operate. Um, I always joke fruit flies in particular scale themselves. And so, you know, and also just the way that our engineers have been able to kind of fine tune some of the details and optimize our processes is we've gotten really good at having very little waste outputs. Um, You know, fruit flies, they, unlike other insects, they can actually be reared um, more or less at room temperature. So we don't require that kind of, you know, 30s or high 30s temperature threshold for them to be to be reared. So there's a lot of unique aspects, number one, about using insects as a living bioreactor rather than these existing systems. But then also fruit flies have quite a few unique advantages.
0: Are you using the exact same fruit flies that they give you in bio20 I don't know if they do this <laughs> anymore but in 1987 yeah. or whatever like I was a mom of a like a little pill bottle of yeah. drosophilas <laughs> that we were like trying to observe their genetic changes in yeah. successive things is it the same bug
2: probably I mean I'm yeah. sure if you go back to the lineage I think all those all those <laughs> flies used in research probably come from the same stock somewhere so yeah it is exactly the same. We just genetically engineer different strains of them to produce different recombinant proteins. But at the end of the day, yes, it is the same, and they are very different from wild-type fruit flies. They they actually love living here with us. They do not want to escape. Um, we you know we kind of joke about these fruit fly mansions that we've created, but they <laughs> created. But they have really great living conditions, and they're not eager to get out. And about um, you know, like there's far more loose fruit flies, unfortunately, in my house. <laughs> um, buzzing around than there are in our office. So yeah, they're quite different in that respect.
0: Future Fields has been on our radar for a long time. At Taproot, we pay attention to what you do, but I have been thinking about you as a cellular agriculture company. And I think most people know kind of the pivot from we're going to make the chicken nuggets to we're going to make the stuff that you... Mm-hmm grow the chicken nuggets. In. <laughs> yeah, the growth <girls> media. Yeah, <laughs> um, But I didn't realize that this Ento engine platform also makes products for use in therapeutics, vaccines, enzymes. So tell me more about mm-hmm. those other applications.
2: You're right. When we started, we were very much a cellular agriculture company. I mean, in more ways than one. We truly were before our first pivot. And then we, um, for the first little while, focused exclusively on the cellular agriculture market. And that is the heart of you know, our business, like, we truly believe that industry has so much potential in terms of sustainability. But we also realize that our platform has incredible potential to do a lot more things, um, you know, recombinant proteins, as you have just said, are used across many different industries. And there's no reason that we needed to kind of pigeonhole ourselves, pigeonhole ourselves to one industry, especially now recognizing um, not only sort of like the scientific, you know, advantages of our platform, but also the sustainability advantages and so recognizing that we could have this huge impact across many industries, we did sort of decide to expand the aperture of our, of our company. So we have entered a few new strategic markets and basically I yeah, plan to continue diversifying um, you know, beyond that as much as possible over the next several years.
0: So we do have a burgeoning local pharmaceutical manufacturing business here, or industry here in Edmonton. Are there opportunities to work together, or is it more complicated than that?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, full disclosure: we are not, um, you know, in terms of where our operations are, we are not at a place to be able to produce things that are ready at level for GMP pharmaceuticals. But we are definitely open to exploring those partnerships and def- and welcome those. Um, That really is the beauty of our platform is we can produce, you know, any recombinant protein. So, uh, you know, protein-based vaccines, things like this drug discovery, like we're very interested in all those avenues because, yeah, there's, you know, if you can make this protein, we can likely um, scale and manufacture it at a higher kind of scale than what's currently available. So definitely.
0: Interesting. So where are most of your customers now?
2: In terms of where they're located across the globe, I think we've now shipped to 18 different countries, I want to say, in terms of where our products are. So um, it's definitely not kind of centralized in one geography. Cellular agriculture still is kind of the, the largest component of, of our customer base. But we are, um, yeah, sort of the areas I mentioned, getting into things like various kind of research use cases um, I can't really speak to the specifics of of who our customers in other industries are, but I can say that we're kind of exploring, you know, every every avenue where recombinant proteins are used right now, and just focusing on the things that we know we can accomplish in the next couple of years in our in our current facility. And some of those, um, you know, I guess you could say, the low the low hanging fruit. There's obviously regulatory is a huge consideration for what we're doing, and some of the facilities considerations around GMP. So. We're, we're focusing on the industries that we know we can get our um, kind of a good foothold in now and then just planning to capture those more more complex ones down the road.
0: Is that the main problem that you have to solve right now, figuring out the process to make this stuff or is it selling, finding the people to sell it to and selling it?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, challenges with both. I think cellular agriculture was a great beachhead market for us because that industry is so hungry for new innovation And other industries and, you know, you get academics, especially, I think they know what works and they're sometimes less, um, less interested in trying something new that might, you know, change their experimental results. So we're definitely making good progress in those industries, but it's just a very different, um, you know, way of approaching sales. So um, yeah, things are progressing for sure. And then, I mean, on the other side, in terms of our science and, and biomanufacturing, we know the science works we're constantly developing new products um so now our next you know exciting challenge is just figuring out how to make that scale to a brand new um level that we've never done before so we we have some exciting plans in the works for the you know expanding the facility that we're currently in and um, kind of just really proving that our ability to scale
0: up so to do that sometimes you got to raise money so you've been through uh, yeah. pre-seed and seed rounds. Normally, mm-hmm. Series A comes next. So, where are you at with with investment?
2: I can say, as a startup, we're we're always fundraising. Yeah, um, but unfortunately, I can't disclose any more specifics at this time. But you likely will hear something, you know, in the next uh, in the next little while about um, where we're at with that. But yeah, all I can say is. We're, you know, we're constantly looking to develop those relationships and thinking about it. And we're we're kind of always in fundraising mode, but nothing I can talk about right now.
0: Maybe zooming out a little bit away from your specific experience, because you've raised before, mm-hmm. and I haven't, <laughs> uh, it feels like there is a bit of a tightening right now that that people were, were very excited about investing and stuff. And now that they aren't. What, what's it like out there uh, just in general for fundraising?
2: Well, for us, especially because our last fundraising experience was coming out of Y Combinator at really in many ways, sort of the peak of this, um, you, know, you're, you know, seeing these kind of crazy evaluations. So I definitely think there's an adjustment that's happened. And, um, you know, we have not changed our approach at all. We've kind of always been pretty reasonable when it comes to thinking about our valuation and the, the amounts of money we want to raise and you know those kinds of things the amount of ownership we want to be giving away so I think it hasn't had quite as big of an impact on us um, in terms of our you know short-term plans but we definitely have seen just um, yeah I mean it was a pretty sudden shift over the last couple months from every other day you're seeing a huge fundraising announcement to all of a sudden investors really really want to know how you're going to be, you know, I think we've seen like the the kind of due diligence change, even from discussions first quarter to second, and now into third. So yeah, I think it was, um, our CEO recently kind of described it as like, in many ways, a Disneyland-esque scenario in the past <laughs> where you could just, you know, get, it was very easy. And, and now I think it's just honestly like more normal. The investors are doing their due diligence. They want to know there's something there. Um, and you need to show them that their investment is going to be worth it.
0: Sounds like maybe a good adjustment in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, definitely. And I mean, I think, I do think we will see, you know, like all industries, I think cellular agriculture has had a lot of hype. And now it's time to see what everyone's been working on. So I'm very excited (laughs) for that to happen. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What has made Edmonton a good place for you to build future fields in?
2: Honestly, so many things. The startup community and culture here are. Great, we um, have had just so much support, both financially, but also just in terms of you know things like mentoring and networking and learning. I'm sure you were aware of events like Startup TNT, I mean Edmonton Startup Week, you know the Startup Awards. There's more things that I can list, and so um, that's been great. Actually, one of our very first investments came from Startup TNT's first investment summit, and we're we used the University of Alberta Health Innovation Hub. The right. first couple of years of existence, which gave us access to lab space, which honestly, both of those were just absolutely pivotal in the history of our company. Like, I don't know what we would have done without either of those things. The people are always number one here. We've had absolutely no problem locally recruiting very talented scientists, engineers, business professionals, chefs, red bakers, <laughs> like all the kind of things we need for our very unique operations. Um, And honestly, the excitement of people both on and off our team about what we're doing has been pretty humbling. Capital obviously goes a very long way in Edmonton. You know, our operating expenses for physical space are probably 10 times less um, than what we'd see somewhere, you know, in the Bay Area. So that's always nice for us and nice for investors. Very reasonable cost of living that allows us to keep salaries, you know, at a reasonable (laughs) um, competitive for this area, but something that Mm -hmm. we can actually afford as a startup. And actually, yeah, I heard someone recently in a meeting call Edmonton the scale-up city. And so I hope I'm not like, stealing <laughs> this from him. But I think that's such a great descriptor for the type of environment that exists here. You know, you have the ability to access infrastructure and physical space, that kind of community support. And then, um, you know, in terms of government, we've had really great support from all three levels of government here. The city has been a great champion. For us, you know, even like we were having some troubles with building permits for a while, and they they stepped right up and helped us get through that. Um, We've had grants from various levels of government, you know, things like Green Stem, My Tax, IRAP, all very helpful. Overall, it is just I can't say enough good things about building a business here.
0: Are there challenging things about building your kind of business here?
2: There was a period when we were, I think, there was a bit of a impression perhaps at a, how do I say this in a, (laughs) in a nice way, provincially that this is maybe not a place where, you know, like a climate tech startup might thrive and people were having some questions about, you know, for, if we are, we do hire locally for the most part, but trying to get people to relocate here. I think there's this bit of a disconnect between what they're Mm -hmm. hearing about uh, what Alberta does. And, but I do think actually like the province and the city have done really great work over the past um, little while to to make it known that there's a lot more happening in Alberta than than what you know. I think people think, but that's the only thing that I can think of. Honestly, we've just had yeah, like overwhelmingly, it's been
0: positive. Other otherwise. So, what's next for Future Fields?
2: We're really just heads down for the next little while, continuing to build our business. We're I mean, we have some big plans for the products that we want to launch. Over the next eighteen months, um, and like I said, focusing on expanding our, you know, the markets that we're serving. So definitely hoping to do that um, and get some real, you know, dem- demonstratable commercial traction in a couple new areas outside of cellular agriculture. So I think the next little while will just be kind of focused internally, really trying to get things going and meeting those milestones, but. You will maybe hear news over the next little while. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll keep us posted. We're yeah. very interested. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been great to talk to you.
2: Oh, thank you again for having me. It was yeah really great chatting with you as well.
0: So, I feel like we keep coming back to the, the interview with uh, Ryan Tucker with G2B Optics but it just reminded me so much of um of their story where they thought their customers were in indoor agriculture but then it turned out they were really in research and aerospace and and Uh, that kind of thing. And it feels to me like the current customers for future fields are in cellular agriculture, but there are more opportunities or other opportunities elsewhere, possibly in therapeutics, pharmaceuticals, if they can make that happen.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting what Jaylene said about wanting to diversify as much as possible and take advantage of of, um, all these different opportunities. I think it's probably just the fact that there's so many Edmonton companies that are um, really engaging in something very technical and extremely specialized, and so they might have a, a thesis or a hypothesis when they start working on things, or they see one particular use case. But then I would assume, as they learn more um, or as they attract people, I'm sure what they're doing generates more questions than it does answers. And we all know that questions lead to more innovation and mm-hmm. uh, more exciting ways to think about things. So. I'm sure that's why we're seeing a lot of this similar type of uh, outcome from some of these Edmonton companies. But I think it's great because if, if we can have companies here that are developing some of the core of these technologies, and then the applications are happening in different places around the world, I think it just makes Edmonton companies more resilient uh, and stronger.
0: Yeah. And their goal, it's it's the quintessential Big, hairy, audacious idea that they have on their, or big, hairy, audacious goal that they have on their website uh, to create the largest and most sustainable biomanufacturing platform on the planet. It's like a big dream. Uh, they're going to need some money to do that. So, the CEO, Matthew Anderson Barron, told Tappert in April they were hoping to close a series A round of 10 to 15 million. Uh, they said soon, and then hasn't happened yet.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'm i glad you asked Jaylene about the tightening of the market um, and what's happening with valuations and how well investors are reacting to certain uh, fundraises. And I mean, we see in Edmonton that there's still a lot happening here in Western Canada. I know, obviously, Sprout, who we talk talk about a lot, has announced some new investments. And uh, we're seeing a lot happening through Yale Town Partners. But I think, you know, it might be that Canadian companies are actually better positioned in this type of market mm. um, you know Jalen mentioned that they were always quite thoughtful about how much equity they're willing to give away how much how they're willing to approach investment and uh, it seems like Canadians in general are a bit more we're, we're a little bit more humble about those things and we treat m- fundraising a bit differently I think sometimes we don't ask for enough but at the same time we also are very careful with with money that we get from any source and so I'm hoping that that means for investors looking at these types of companies, Canada and, of course, Alberta, more importantly, um, end up being really attractive places to put their money because if due diligence is what's what's getting more and more stringent, then you know hopefully we already have a leg up there. Um, so I, I know Jalen mentioned they will be hopefully inv- announcing something soon, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to hear what that is. It does feel
0: like it's close. It's not a, a pipe dream that they're in a, a situation where due diligence is important. And mm-hmm. it feels like in this market humility might be kind of a good thing. And and like actually having all of your eyes dotted and T's crossed is the sort of thing that investors need to feel comfortable that this is this is a worthwhile risk and not just like some crazy idea without anything backing it up. So Mm -hmm. And I don't think they would have got this far in this field without having something (laughs) to pack it up. Yeah. Um, I I also find it so interesting how they are um, trying to do this really hard thing, trying to change the world, put a dent in the universe as all those, Mm -hmm. you know. Guru guys say, uh, but they're also paying attention to environmental sustainability of their process, of their building, of their you know the way that they go along in their business, and also creating sustainable working conditions for their staff.
1: Yeah, again, I think this is going to be um, you know an ongoing theme in the next few years. Uh, the pandemic definitely showed us that there. Yeah. I think it brought to light a lot of issues that people already knew existed, uh, but maybe just weren't highlighted in the same way or or maybe in some some cases it was accelerated um and you know what what Jaylene said about the way that women you know there's a lot of parity in science at the research level and at the entry level and as you go further up the chain you know the the disparity seems to grow between men male leaders and female leaders and obviously um you know parenting and some of those household responsibilities we we've, we've seen lots of headlines about how a lot of that falls Uh, to women. And, you know, I I mean, not, not to compare the two, but you're seeing a lot of workplaces that are pet friendly. I don't see Mm -hmm. why we can't make workplaces child friendly. Yeah. And they they
0: have. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if, you know, if if we're going to think about having people that are working on these big problems, they don't turn their brains off when they go home. So why should they turn their, you know, their home brains off when they come to work?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right, well, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll chat about some other developments in the biosciences realm. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here's a message from our sponsor.
2: The world needs what Edmonton offers. A vibrant city of risk-takers committed to tackling global challenges like the climate emergency, public health, food security, digital inclusion, social justice, and reconciliation. Edmonton-based solutions are exactly what international markets demand and where investors want to deploy capital. At Innovate Edmonton, we're positioning our city
1: as an inclusive global innovation capital, supporting innovators of all stripes and putting innovation into the public realm with our groundbreaking new downtown
2: home. Check us out today at InnovateEdmonton.com.
1: This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca.
0: All right. So even though uh, Future Fields is exploring opportunities beyond lab-grown meat, it's still very much connected to that world. And you brought to my attention another story from the world of cellular agriculture, a profile of Isha Datar of New Harvest in the National Observer. So who's Isha, what's New Harvest, and what's going on there?
1: Well, you know, it's uh, interesting. I, I read a story about Isha back in January. Um, and, you know, Edmonton, it's a small place. And when you see someone doing something interesting that you've never heard of, uh, it it's, it piques my interest, definitely, mm-hmm. because uh, I feel like we always hear about cool stuff happening in Edmonton. So Isha yeah. uh, moved back to Edmonton recently from New York, and she has been running New Harvest, um, I think, for since 2013 or 2014, something like that. And so she's a U of A grad. She started thinking about cellular agriculture when she was doing her undergrad here. And she's basically gone on to lead this organization, which is not only creating, you know, working on research in the cellular agriculture field, but trying to create an ecosystem around it. So one of the things that she's been thinking about is how do you make research more sustainable? You know, you're always looking for funding. And then you invest in some research, and then you need an outcome to get some more money. And and you're always chasing the money uh, in order to keep the research going. And so part of her work with New Harvest led her to be a founder in a couple of companies in the US that have done a really great job of creating both eggs and dairy from cellular agriculture products. And uh, so what she did is she was, as a founder, she was given a whole bunch of stock in those companies and she decided to donate that stock to New Harvest and start an endowment that mm-hmm. would essentially start um, paying back a dividend and continue to grow and fund the research that she wants to do. And so she's trying to, using another buzzword, democratize research in cellular agriculture and build this you know, um, force of gravity that that's attracting anybody who's interested in it to help start to advance what cellular agriculture means and what it can be. And so she thinks that cellular agriculture will go well beyond using labs to create what we currently know as protein. So meat, eggs, that kind of thing, and to create a whole new class of food. Uh, and a lot of that will be shaped by climate change. Uh, and so I was reading that that piece about her and I think it's, it's just a really interesting way of looking at things and all the way from the business model uh, to what they're trying to do there as an organization. Mm-hmm. And
0: New Harvest itself is a not-for-profit. They, uh, I think- they, they they need a lot of cash to do what they're doing, which is like yeah. funding some researchers and stuff. And they put out a cash call at a at a conference in New York earlier this year and got one point three million dollars back. So she's a persuasive person. Uh, and now they're they're in, in engaged in a in a larger campaign to bring in many more millions to keep doing the work. Um, We'll link to all that in the show notes. I also see that New Harvest and Cult Food Science announced in June that they were creating Open Cell Egg, which is a cellular agriculture network of excellence, and its first uh, project is development is the development of a cell bank, which we'll link to that in the show notes too. Um, Cult Food Science is where Ledge Four went when he left Future Fields, so interesting. Mm-hmm, definitely. They're, uh, conspiring to do all kinds of things. Uh, and they're from Edmonton, right? Isha's moved back here. Leggi, I believe, is still based here, even though Cult is based in, in Vancouver. Future Fields is here. They've got a brand new headquarters and, uh, and are growing their team here. It's intriguing that, uh, this community of interest around, um, cellular agriculture would grow up in the heart of traditional agriculture land.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a couple of things uh, I think is you can see some similarities with the energy sector as well. When we've been, you know, traditionally such big players in a, in a particular industry, that's when people start to see where the opportunities are to make things better, or they can really have this deep expertise on how things are currently done and how you can apply that in a different way. So I don't see, you know, though I'm surprised and I'm sure a lot of people are surprised to see that, their cellular agriculture, you know, burgeoning in in cattle country. Um, I also think it's probably seems fitting the same way that we're now, you know, um, getting into hydrocarbon and and alternative energies. And I think Isha and Jaylene both made mention to the fact that Edmonton's a great place because of the cost of living, work life balance. And so again, you know, when you're when you're working on something where you're giving a ton of your time, you're raising money you know, things are, can be dicey at times. It feels like this is a really advantageous place to be. So I'm glad they've chosen to grow companies here. And, um, I'm just hoping we get a little bit more eyeballs from the rest of the world on, on all the cool things happening. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, if you haven't already hit subscribe, so you don't miss upcoming episodes of bloom. And if you like this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by
0: Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Devon Beaker and cover art by Vicki Wersinski. Bye.